0: So I want you go ahead and grab your Bibles and, and meet me in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. So two weeks ago, uh, we talked about the difference between good news preaching and good advice preaching. And, and what do we do around here? Do we do good advice preaching? No, we do good news preaching around here, right? We center on the good news of the gospel. Then last week, Ryan taught from the second half of chapter 2 that wisdom is cross-shaped and spirit-revealed, that that we rejoice in this because wisdom is a gift from God. We we pray because God saves us, not ourselves, and we walk in God's wisdom, not the wisdom of the world. And this is where Paul launches in in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to read through the whole chapter together, and then we will see what God has for us in this passage of scripture it'll also come up on the screens for you god's word to us this morning first corinthians Corinthians chapter 3 verse 1 says this but i brothers and sisters could not address you as spiritual people but as people of the flesh as infants in christ i fed you with milk not solid food for you were not ready for it and even now you are not yet ready for you are still of the flesh for while there's jealousy and strife among you are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way for when one says i follow paul and another i follow apollos are you not being merely human what then is apollos what is paul servants Do you not know that you are God's temple, and that God's Spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool, that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God, for it is written... He catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or all the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. And you are Christ's, and Christ's is God's. Let's pray again for God's help. Lord Jesus. As we come to these words in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, God, I pray um, that we would be both encouraged by these words, that we would be warned by these words and comforted, God, by these words as well. God, um, your word for us is is a light to our feet, it's a, it's a lamp um, into our path, God, and I pray um, that we would treasure these words in 1 Corinthians 3. God, I pray for your help. Um, God, may um, my words this morning be helpful as, as they are guided by your Spirit. God, we pray, uh, if there's anything uh, that I say that um, is, is not of your will, God, let it be forgotten. Let it not come out of my mouth, God. And God, I pray that we would be guided together, uh, to be built up in love as you would desire by the power of your Spirit, working in and through the preaching of your Word in this room. And among us this morning. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright. So we've arrived at chapter 3 here in 1 Corinthians. And Paul is get, heading back to where he kind of started the, the first chapter of Corinthians. Um, he's making sure that we're, he, we, we know what he's talking about here. He's talking about divisions that have um, engaged in, in the church regarding their view of church leaders. Uh, He then also talks about the measurement of real spiritual work, that uh, as leaders invest into the life of the church, there's kind of good work that's going to last, and then there's some work that's going to just burn up and go away. We see a few warnings that uh, accord with seeing ourselves rightly and really tying a bow on what Paul has to say about wisdom. So if I had to break this text up into three main pieces, and I do because it's kind of my job— um, the, I would break it up like this. Uh, first, we're going to see God's work in verses 1 through 9. Two, we're going to see God's way in verses 10 through 17. And then God's wisdom in 18 through 23. So in, in the first four verses of this chapter, Paul really calls the Corinthians out again. He says, you, Your brothers and sisters in the faith, your spiritual people, but he had to treat them like a bunch of babies. Like, instead of having adult conversations with them, he kind of had to sort through all the baby babble of their jealousy, their pride, and strife that's plaguing their church. I, I, have, I have had young kids, and if, I think everyone in the, in the church can relate with this, of having a conversation with a two-year-old before. If you've ever had a conversation with a two-year-old, It's kind of confusing. You don't really know what's going on. You're pretty sure you know what they're saying. Uh, But it's just overall, it's cute. And you kind of love covers a multitude of sins there. And so your love for this cute little two-year-old kind of covers over whatever confusion you have with them. Because, hey, you're the adult in the situation. Whatever they said doesn't really matter in the first place. But if you've ever had a conversation with an adult and it feels like you're talking to a two-year-old, The cuteness factor just kind of flies out the window, right? It's not cute anymore. It's just annoying. It's like, come on, man. Like, grow up. Move past. Speak clear. Use your words, bro. Like, it's just, when there's babble and there's strife and division, that's what this is kind of like. People end up pouting and thinking if someone doesn't cater to their desires, uh, then those other people are just being mean, right? And so maybe you'd say, like Paul here, He's like, well, go ahead, I'm going to treat you like a baby. Go ahead and poop your diaper, you know, to the adult Corinthians here. And so when you're adult, no one else is going to change your diaper for you. You've got to do that for yourself. It's your deal now. You've got to just sit in your own stink, and it's only hurting you. See, this is what Paul's getting at when he says in verse 3, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way. Again, the topic at hand here is that people are dividing on who they're saying they're following. I follow Apollos, or I follow Paul, and then you've got the really super holy people that are like, well, I just follow Jesus. (laughs) You know? They're all hoity-toity about their stuff. But they're still participating in the division here. See, this is the topic. They're against one another, and Paul is trying to show them that it's not important who the worker of god is it is important that we know that it is all god's work so it's not the leader that's important ultimately the import is still on god as the one who does the work look again at verses five through nine paul says this what then is apollos what is paul he calls them servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. This was God's assignment on these men. It was God leading and guiding these men. So neither he who plants or he who waters is anything. See, verse 6 I planted Apollos water, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one. It is God doing the work through these human leaders. And each one will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field and God's building. So now we're getting somewhere. Paul gives us some helpful terms. I used to be a teacher, so I really like clarity when it comes to terms. So what's Paul, what's Apollos? They're servants through whom this church believed. And then in verse 9, they're called God's fellow workers. This is really helpful for us when it comes to us and the church and what to expect out of the leaders up here at the front. So for the past two weeks, Ryan has been preaching. Now I'm preaching. So it, would it do us any good to say, well, I, man, I really like it when Jacob preaches, or man, I really only like it when Ryan preaches. Or we could do this with the band up here too. I've definitely been a part of the church long enough to know people are like, oh, I really prefer this style of worship, or I really hate this particular group of songs. When we're playing favorites like that, inwardly in our own heart, we're only setting ourselves up for failure. We need to see leadership from the church and within the church as God's work in and through just broken humans, just like you, who fail, who get it wrong, who get it right sometimes, guess what? All the getting it right, that's God's work. All all of the leadership that happens up here in a healthy way, that's God's work, that's God's doing, not any of us. And Paul makes it very clear it was not Paul or Apollos who made them believe, it was God himself. Paul says he planted, he said Apollos watered, but who gives growth? It's God himself. Paul and Apollos aren't anything only God himself gets the glory for the gift of faith that is now enjoyed in that Corinthian church. That church is now God's field, God's buildings. This is one of the reasons that we say all the time that the church isn't a building. The church isn't a place that you go to. The church is a people. It is the people of God. I know that we're really excited about what that building could mean for us if we get a permanent church home as a family, but church believe me it's just that it is just a building just like any other building it's not going to be a super special holy spot there's only one place god chose to have his spirit dwell and remain forever you know where that is it's in you it's through the gift of faith in jesus the spirit of god dwells in you follower of jesus not in a building not in a place but in you See, you don't get into this family by signing a form. You don't get into this family by raising your hand or even coming to an altar. The way you become a part of the church is through the miracle of faith that God himself works in each of us. The gift of faith that he does in us. The work of Jesus in your place, crucified for your sin and belief in that gospel. A couple weeks ago, Ryan said that this is a loser gospel about a God who dies for sin, who who was crucified naked on a Roman torture device, who was openly mocked and spat upon and ridiculed as he suffered before his death. It's a loser gospel. But through that gospel, losers like us get invited into the family of God. Through, Through Christ's loss of death, he gained eternal life for us he showed his power over sin and death and the grave and he brought us into the family of God it is God's work that brings us into the family of God so this miracle of faith through the the proclamation of God's word spoken again like men like me who aren't anything but it's through the work of God through humble means like this speaking words on a stage like this opening up The Bible in front of you, this is the way that we become God's field. And if you think about it long enough, this has always been what God has been doing for the past 2,000 years. This is why we gather together like this on a Sunday morning, and we open up the scriptures like this, and we preach through the Bible. It's the way that God has chosen to bring people to faith, and to bring about maturity in those that already believe. If you think about it, this is one of the only things about our stories of faith that we have in common. It all starts with people sharing the good news of Jesus with us. That God has shaped us through other people proclaiming gospel truth. This is the means by which God has chosen to work through. Now since that is the case, Paul then shifts his focus away from God's work to focus on God's work being done in God's way. Because the the temptation of every believer, every, every leader in the church, and every pastor is going to be, is going to, once a foundation in Christ has been laid, is to build cheap. There's a constant temptation against that. We'll talk more about that in just a minute. Look with me at verse 10 again. Let's be reminded of what Paul says. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, And someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. See the way there. For no one can lay a foundation other than which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. It's going to be found out. For the day will disclose it. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each person has done. Now, if the work anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. And if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Let's stop there. See, as we read that, read that again, you probably saw, again, God's, Paul is very much concerned um, that once this foundation in Christ has been laid, that the, the subsequent teachings of the church, the way the church is being led, the way the church is being built up, he is afraid that that direction is going to be um, uh, building in a way that's cheap, building in a way that's not still centered on Jesus, still centered on the gospel. It's diverting attention away into something else. Remember back to chapter 2. We know that that foundation was Christ and him crucified. That's what Paul said he, when he was among the Corinthians. He decided to know nothing else other than Christ and him crucified. And Paul clarifies again in verse 11. For no one can lay a foundation other than which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. But something else is happening now. Paul isn't there anymore. But the church continues. The church is continuously being built. That foundation is being built upon by others. And how are they doing that building? And it's through their preaching. It is through their leadership in the church. Their example to others within the family of God. And here Paul has a warning for these leaders. So be careful, Christian leader here. Hear this warning from Paul. You're either building up the church with things of value Or you're attempting to build up the church with things that will be burned away. This is what I meant earlier about building cheap. See, you can build cheap in, in a million ways in the church. You can start with a good foundation on the gospel and then feel like, well, we need to graduate away from the gospel and into something else. You know, that's our next step in Christian maturity is, you know, really, we need to move on from the gospel and really get with you know, whatever the next fad is in, 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 in you know, popular Christian life. Maybe it's your finances, or maybe you're uh, faking your spiritual maturity, making you, uh, other people believe that you're more mature than you are. Like, you never have a prayer request at community group. You never have anything hard going on. You're just kind of faking it, like, across the board. You're you're building with straw there. You're building with things that get burned up there. It's going to be found out. Maybe as the church, we can sometimes want to fake spiritual fruit in our ministries. I see, some leaders hide uh, behind numbers in, in seats, like kind of butts in seats and baptisms, but fail to mention that this real disciples aren't really being made. That, that the, the baptisms are just folks rededicating themselves for the fourth time. We can kind of do this as the church. And again, centering back on what we've preached for the past three weeks, we don't give good advice. We give good news. See, some pastors and leaders end up uh, teaching more about how to fix your finances, how to seize the day or your odd particular doctrinal view, rather than majoring on the majors of Jesus Christ and him crucified, like Paul's getting at here. We don't ever graduate from the gospel. See, some of us are more known from sharing uh, the good news about the Enneagram or our favorite new TV show than we are actually making disciples within the church. We spend more time at community group talking about our favorite TV shows than, than how to grow as followers of Jesus. And there's, there's nothing wrong with talking about TV. <laughs> Believe me, I'm the biggest nerd in the room, okay? I love it. But if, if this is dominating our time, it's, gonna, it's going to show that it is wood and hay and straw, and it's going to be burned up. When you stand before Christ in eternity, you're not going to care about the latest Netflix show that you watched. You just aren't. We need to be awakened to some of this. Paul says that whatever's built is going to be revealed, it's going to be found out. You might look good on the outside, but in the end, you can't fake real. See, when I was a kid, um, th- we had a uh, something called a burn barrel. Uh, anybody grow up with a burn barrel? Like, <laughs> yeah, all the environmentalist people are like, who are those people? Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find you out. I'm going to drive to your house. No, but... Uh, So this was a different age, you know. So burn barrel backyard is a good way to get rid of some of your easier trash um, uh, by by burning up some of it. And you could find your recyclables easier that way because they're just conveniently located at the bottom of the can. Afterwards, you can dig them out, and then you can recycle them. So the burn barrel worked like this. Uh, You'd light a fire in there, burn the trash, and then you'd need some way to maintain that fire uh, while the trash was burning. And uh, we had a yard rake that we did that with. It it looked like it was made of wood, the the handle that kind of came over on the Mayflower. You know, like, it was, it's going to survive, like, the coming of Christ, the the whole everything else. It's just never going to go away. But this thing was solid, right? And you'd use it to tend the burn barrel fire. And I made the mistake one day uh, of grabbing a plastic rake and then trying to tend the fire with the plastic rake. And you could probably know what happened when I, uh, that thing went over the fire. Before it even touched the flames, it had already melted. It was already ruined. It went everywhere. My dad was really excited about it when he got home, you know. But it's, it, it was found out you can't really fake real. It ruined that entire rake in seconds. See, that metal rake was fine every single time it went into the fire because it was made for it. It was made sturdy. It was made strong. There's nothing... Wrong is gonna to happen to it, but the plastic one ruined instantly. This is what Paul's getting at here. You can't fake real discipleship to Jesus. See, plastic and the straw, they're gonna burn away in our lives, but what is built on Christ is costly. It's something that will remain. Did you notice that Paul contrasts the the, the materials? Uh, that are built, that are going to burn away, like with wood and hay and straw. Those things are cheap. Those things are easy to find. Even down in Cochabamba, while I was down in Bolivia, a lot of the building that's done down there is still done with wood and hay and straw. Quite literally, we saw a man making bricks from, with, with just wood, uh, with, 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 with straw and hay and clay, like while we were down there. That's one of the ways that they even make fires, is they take it. They'll they'll, they'll mix uh, uh, some straw with another thing and stick it to a wall until it dries and then build with those things. But these things are cheap. They're easy. They'll crumble with time. See, Paul contrasts these cheap building materials with really expensive ones. Gold, silver, precious stones. See, I don't know about you, but in my house, there's a very low percentage of the walls that are made with gold and silver and precious stones. So if you come over and you see some of that in my wall, something has changed, right? And Paul's talking about building a house here. What he's trying to get at is that if you, in your discipleship to Jesus, build with things that are going to last, those things will be costly. When you build on the foundation of Christ, those things will be costly. They're going to be precious. They're going to cost you something. When we preach, we teach, and we lead, and we try to set an example that accords with Christ in the church, those things that are going to last will cost us something if we are to gain them in the church. Church, not following trends and jumping on easy bandwagons will be costly in today's culture. It will cost you in some of your relationships with others. Holding to the New Testament standards on teachings of t- on sexuality will be costly for you. Going deep, sharing openly about your struggles and walking in repentance will be costly for you. doesn't feel safe, but is right and it's good and it's costly. You're building precious stones. Giving up your time and your money and your attention in order to make disciples and disciple others will be costly. You've got to give something up in order to spend time with others. The church is worth it. Everything else is going to burn away in your life. The Netflix, the baseball tournaments, the, 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 the things that you spent your money on, the boats, the, the, the vacations, all of those things are going to burn up eventually. You know the things that are going to last? Those simple gospel conversations that couldn't happen any other way than you making sure that you had child care for it or that you, you made a meal from so, for someone or maybe instead of spending money all your money on yourself you gave a gift to someone who's in need maybe the gift is just time with someone who's lonely and those are costly precious gifts and those things will last paul says this in verse 16 Do you not know that you are God's temple, and that God's Spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. See, Paul reassures the Corinthian church, and by way of Scripture, us. God is going to keep us, just like he's going to keep this Corinthian church. God's going to keep his church, it's precious, it's holy, it's built with costly, precious things. And anyone that dares try to destroy his church, God will destroy him. Verses 16 and 17 are incredibly encouraging and hopeful verses for anyone that are part of God's church. But at the same time, these verses contain some of the harshest possible warnings for anyone who might seek to destroy God's church. Paul says God will destroy you. Take heed, Christian leader here in the room. I was really helped by this quote from Andrew Wilson's incredible shorter commentary. Let me read this for you. He says, Shoddy workmanship in building up the people of God, the church, causes damage to everyone, but it doesn't disqualify a person from salvation. Paul says that they will be saved, but as through fire. But destroying the church, on the other hand, most definitely does. Paul does not tell us the extent of the damage or even the willfulness of it or something else, but the language here should make us want to err on the side of caution. You and I need to heed this caution well from Paul. We who lead in the church, teach and disciple, lead kids and Veritas kids, lead youth, are part of a community group. We need to take heed. You're holding holy things When we invest in others, when we disciple others, when we teach and lead others. And friends, we must never become comfortable holding holy things. God's precious, holy things. Because it is indeed the church which God holds this in regard. It's like handling a a precious glass vase or something delicate. I've I've started regularly, including uh, my boys Levi and Pete, in unloading the dishwasher. And it's incredible how careless a seven-year-old can be with something that you deem as precious, right? They grab that thing, and they're like, la-da-da-da-da, you know, on the way to the the China cabinet, put the thing up. And you or I would treat it with care and caution and, like, try to be careful. Hold it with two hands, buddy, on wherever you're taking the thing. But we who are in positions of leadership as we teach, as we disciple, and as we lead must be careful We're holding a delicate thing when we lead the church. So we who lead the church, who do God's work, must be careful to do it in God's way. But now how do we do that? What must guide us? And I'm glad you asked, because Paul's got the answer for us. We finally arrived at the last section of 1 Corinthians 3, appropriately titled, God's Wisdom. Let's read these last six verses one more time. Paul says, So, let no one deceive himself. If anyone thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. Let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. Hear this church, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or Or the world, or life, or death, or the present, or the future, all are yours, church. You are Christ's, and Christ is God. Paul's bringing this section home with two commands. Two commands are this let no one deceive himself, and let no one boast in men. In saying that we should not deceive ourselves, Paul is really clear here. See, if you think you're wise, you're really a fool. So get back in line with the foolishness of the gospel. And speaking of wisdom, uh, Tim Tim Keller actually tweeted this the other day, and I found it very helpful and in line with what we're talking about today. Tim Keller said, your future self will always see your present self as unwise and immature. That means you are currently unwise and immature right now. (laughs) Right? It's really like a gut check for like any time I want to think that I've arrived. Or anytime I think that I'm a wise person, it's like he's totally right. I think about my ten-year-old self and I'm like, man, you were an idiot. And then my high school self, I'm like, goodness gracious, what were you thinking? Like, I look back to my college self and I'm like, there's so many things I was unwise and unfoolish and uh, just, I mean, incredibly foolish in my life. And it's true. I look even back two weeks ago or two days ago and I'm like, I can't believe I made that decision again. I can't believe I put my mouth in, uh, my foot in my mouth in that situation again. Yes, I, was, I am currently unwise, and I am currently foolish. And it's helpful for us to, to recognize about this self all the time. See, Keller proves this eternal principle of always seeing yourself as the idiot that you all always are. This is the way to true wisdom. And you know why? It means you're teachable. It means you have humility. Because if you're haughty and you think yourself as, as, as above, and you're above everyone else, and you've, you've got everything figured out, that means you can't learn anymore. Your capacity for learning has been capped. But, if you admit with yourself, man, I don't have it all together. I do have a thing or two to learn. I am, and will see myself as unwise and immature just days from now. Then you'll have capacity to learn. Maybe some of us that were older in the room could remember the first time that we got an email or you heard about email and you're like this junk I can't wait for this fad to die and how many of us live and die by the internet like 90% of our jobs now are sitting on a computer screen and half of it's email goodness there was entire people swaths of people in the 90s that just made loads of money by saying you know what this isn't going away and they were betting against everyone else saying, like, yeah, this thing's going to die. But it didn't. The internet's still here, rock and rolling. The email is still here, rocking and rolling. We need to see ourselves and our past selves as unwise and immature to get out in front of this thing. So the question is, what things are you tempted to add to the gospel to divide your interests, to see yourself as wise? Maybe in your own attempt at wisdom, you said, really, the gospel must be the gospel plus something else to earn it. J.D. Greer is uh, kind of famous for making this phrase famous, that the gospel plus anything else means you lose the gospel. The gospel plus works means you have no gospel at all because you are adding to the equation. Either it is God that has saved you or you have saved you. Maybe it's in your own view that you must have the gospel plus some sense of prosperity. You have a a sense of entitlement. Or God's got to give me something. This is the wrong religion, buddy. It's not for you. Maybe it's the gospel plus a a certain political stance. Like, you've got to have this or you lose it. No, it cannot be. It's the gospel plus your traditions. Guess what? Styles will change. Some of the songs we sing are going to die. Let them die. You know how many times I get like that? Let's have a 90s Sunday revival of all the songs we sang back in the day. No. (laughs) No way. Some of those songs just need to die, you know? Just let it lay, dog. Just let it lay. And it's actually a good thing. Styles will change, but the gospel doesn't. So our preferences can evolve in time. Maybe it's the gospel plus having comfort. Guess what? Jesus himself even promises suffering. Or maybe it's the gospel plus autonomy, thinking that like I, I, I need my autonomy, I need, I need to be able to make whatever decisions I'm, I want, whenever I want, but in the gospel, because of the good news, you're not just one to Christ, but you're one to a family. You're made for communion with God and his church. Then Paul turns his attention on the major topic at hand and says the last thing, let no one boast in men. And the reason he gives for not boasting in men is mind-blowing and breathtaking. Let me read it for you again. Verse 21. Let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or present in the future, all are yours. You are Christ and Christ is God's. (laughs) Paul, what are you talking about here, man? Like, why are you talking about all things being ours? What does that got to do with not taking sides? Church, it has everything about what it has to do about not taking sides. See, if 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 your perspective is on on your life, maybe your church, maybe your theology is small and myopic, you are going to be concerned about how big your piece of the pie is going to be. And you're going to be willing to take sides and make allegiances. Because you're going to be concerned about getting what is yours or having your preferences fulfilled. But when you have a grand cosmic vision of your inheritance in Christ, a cosmic gospel where all things are inherited by you, where all peoples, all leaders are serving on the, according to the will of God to equip you that grand, global, cosmic vision of your inheritance in Christ, all that stuff about factions and taking sides seems like small potatoes. That podcast that you're worried about that other person listening to doesn't really matter as much anymore. The, the guys that I quote on the screen and, and what their names ha- mean to you and ha- have their significance don't really mean as much as, as, as if you're seeing yourself rightly in being a part of the global church. And that the good news of the gospel really is real to you. That this cosmic God, who upholds the universe by the word of his power, who spoke all things into existence, who shows his power over all things, cares about little, itty-bitty you. He cares about you enough to bring you into his family pride. Taking sides, boastfulness, they all fade into the background. We see them for what they really are. They're harmful for everyone. They just pride and taking sides, destroy the individuals that participate in them, and left unchecked, those things can actually destroy the church as a whole. But Paul's saying that these things are unnecessary. See, when we get our eyes up off of our temporal circumstances... And fix our eyes on Jesus and the glory and grandeur of the gospel, everything else can kind of fade away. And in all inclination to say, well, I follow this guy, or I only read this theologian's books, they fade away in the glory of beholding God Himself in His beauty. And in Christ, church, all things are yours. You are Christ's, and Christ is God. Church, may we believe. This, and more so, may we live it. Let me go ahead and pray for us. Lord Jesus, I pray that today, um, as we again celebrate nine years of God's grace, may we again remember um, that every person that's been a part of leadership in this church um, has either invested uh, with precious things, precious stones, wood, silver, uh, silver and gold and precious stones, God, if they have invested rightly into the discipleship of this church. God, and we thank God for it. God, we thank God for the men and the women that have given their lives uh, to disciple others within this church, to make much of you, Jesus, that's met people for coffee, uh, that's led community groups, that is uh, sang songs and invested in our kids and, and youth and in Veritas kids here. God, we praise God for these men and women and their investment into the kingdom. And God, uh, we do not take sides and say, well, I, this is my favorite leader. That's the person that I'm behind. But God, may we see that every leader here, past, present, and future, God, it's yours. God, you're the one who does the work. You're the one who accomplished it by your will and by the power of your spirit. God, may we m- take assessment of ourself and ask, are we walking according to wisdom? Are we walking according to your truth and your word and are we building on the foundation of the gospel with things that are going to last or things that will pass away god i pray would we do the hard work of repentance will we do the hard work of looking in deep into ourselves and asking ourselves the hard question bring brothers and sisters alongside of us to help us do that work all apart what your good plan is for this church and every other church for the past 2,000 years and until you return, God. We pray this in your name. Amen.